0: your senses will tell you something's wrong. Something's out of place. The hairs on your arm will stand up. The back of your neck, you will get chills
1: even before you hear that horrible screeching. As loud as shells in the distance, slowly and steadily as you creep forward.
0: And when you do see it, it will be brain-breaking for you to see something that you know shouldn't exist, should not fit together.
1: As you approach it, you see hordes of people, they're chanting drowned out by the screams and and in front of their pyre that they've built sits a totem of a beast, rising up like some sort of profane alien obelisk. You've got this massive
0: tower of segmented plates with this enormous mouth and these incredibly horrendous teeth these vestigial mass of tentacles and flats and blobs and this tail and in the middle of it is this baleful eye which can literally drive you insane just by
1: looking at it. It's eye dances about the ground hungrily looking for those who are not part of its entourage and all the while it screams and screams and screams. When you see this thing coming at you
0: Your only consideration is surviving the next few minutes.
2: Hello and welcome to Making a Monster, the weekly podcast where game designers show us their favorite monster and we discover how it works, why it works, and what it means. I'm Lucas Zellers. The Abomination comes from a game that's very different from Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm excited to introduce you to not one, not two, but three of the people who worked on it.
0: My name is Irvin Jackson, I
1: am a writer and an artist. My name is Charles Ferguson Avery. I am a uh, freelance artist and creator.
3: My name is Brandon Aiton. I'm the business director of Wet Ink Games, and we're based out of Louisville, Kentucky.
2: Wet Ink Games is a small gaming company dedicated to bringing you new, fresh ideas to your tabletop before the ink dries. That dedication paid off with Zhang Shu Blood in the Banquet Hall, which you may remember from our first episode, and it paid off again with Never Going Home, a cosmic horror role-playing game set in World War 1.
3: A lot of our games are kind of off the beaten path. Never Going Home, we were inspired by Charlie's work with an Inktober project that he was working on, which was all World War 1 stuff and you would be hard-pressed to find another World War 1 RPG. And so it was right up our alley. We reached out to Charlie and said, "We love your stuff. We've been following you. Can we do something with it?"
2: Inktober is an annual art challenge started by artist Jake Parker in 2009. Thousands of artists used the month of October to make 31 inked drawings in 31 days. Charles Ferguson Avery used the challenge to create an art book called World War Occult, and the team at Wedding Ink Games worked with him to develop his concept into never going home.
1: World War I was, to begin with, the closest thing humanity can achieve to a living hell. There are various other points in history, various other places, but that's a big one. So I just kind of played around with the idea of what if it got so bad that it literally just tore a hole into the other side? The core tenets of it were that it was not glorious. It was horrifying, dark, scary, and melancholy. The sides stopped fighting. The war broke down, and instead it became about people fighting against something much worse than themselves.
0: The setting for this is what you drew me in. Both the World War One aspect and the horror aspect. I'm a big Lovecraft fan. And this had some definite Lovecraftian overtones. And I'm pretty sure that's why Brandon contacted me in the first place. Because I knew that this was absolutely like my wheelhouse kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't love. think
3: I, I got that out of my mouth before Irvin was like, yes. <laughs> I was one of the primary system designers for Never Going Home. It is all narrative-based. It has a a narrator, and uh, we wanted to make sure that moving forward, it could operate with whatever you could find in your game closet. So standard deck of cards and standard D6. It's a pretty simple mechanic of uh, successes being a 5 or a 6 on a standard D6. And so you're trying to achieve target numbers of successes. And the plus 1 system, which Never Going Home uses, uses your character's attributes to modify die rolls up and down, trying to achieve a five or a six on dice cards come into play in uh, the plus one system in different ways and in never going home specifically the card decks are used to show the eldritch elements that Irvin was mentioning that kind of cthulhu element you're trying to get power from the others on the other side of the veil that is thinned between our world and the others and you're giving up your humanity which are represented by the cards, in order to get more power.
2: It is a blast talking to these guys, not just because they so enjoy each other's work, but also because they genuinely get it. They genuinely understand why I wanted to do this podcast. We talked about what makes the monsters in Never Going Home and the Abomination specifically so frightening and so relevant.
0: One of the things that I like about the setting is that it is both high-tech and low-tech at the same time World War 1 was where humanity was on the cusp and it's a combination of kind of old classic 1800s warfare with all this new technology that people really didn't know how to use or understand how devastating it would be on the battlefields and it also is a much more isolated war. Uh, Today, a soldier could get data from headquarters, can find out what's going on in the whole world. They can even call home and say, hey, honey, I'm fine. In this setting, particularly with the players, there's often going to be times where you have no contact with anybody except the people in your immediate vicinity. You don't know what's going on. You don't have a way of accessing the big picture. And I think that that heightens the horror aspect of it. The antagonists in this are essentially beings from another dimension. Our warfare and the death and carnage has gotten their attention, has weakened the veil between our world and theirs, and they see an opportunity. They begin to move into our world and influence people and events on it.
3: Now, mechanically how that actually plays out there's a mechanic called corruption where you'll be drawing cards from the deck and you will see it and then you'll slide it to the narrator and the narrator will see it and they will know if your character is becoming more and more corrupt throughout the game and you keep those cards secret you always keep your corruption level secret so you can start not optimally cooperating, not giving cards when you're supposed to, not maximizing your role to beat an adversary, things like that, to ultimately mess with the unit. The kicker is if, you, if your character ever reaches five corruption at the end of that mission, they don't go home.
0: The creatures that players have to face and that the world is threatened by, uh, they are, like you said, they're not the others. But in my mind, they're kind of what could happen to us These are things from other worlds where the veil tore and they were not able to resist the corruption. And now they're minions, for lack of a better term, for the others, but also looking at them as we as humans face corruption, we're also seeing these monsters, our eventual potential fate.
1: I like that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird because like... I, you know, I didn't come up with any of that. Like, I just, <laughs> I, just, I just drew the spooky drawings, and like, and now it's like this. Like, God, God, I wish I'd come up with that. Uh, okay.
2: Yeah. Of all of the monsters that you've designed for this game, uh, what has been your favorite?
0: Uh, um, I don't know if we have a consensus. I, just feel like got, yeah, I don't everybody's got their favorite. I think yeah. my favorite is easily the abomination. It is this massive segmented worm. I described it as an amalgam of biological calamities. I I think that the best creatures, the most frightening creatures, are the ones that you, you have trouble describing. You can't really comprehend it. And the abomination is this large worm Tentacled insectile creature that is just a devouring agent of chaos, and it in itself is scary. But the even scarier part is that the only way it gets here is if someone was depraved enough to bring it over. While it's horrifying, you have to keep in mind that one, someone had the power to do this, and two, someone didn't care. That it was here as long as it was doing their bidding and a good portion of the time the summer that brings it over ends up being eaten by it because they can't control it because it's just it's too much for them it's you know it's an act of hubris at the base of it you have very human motivations that caused it to be the terror that it was if there wasn't a human involved there wouldn't be an abomination here. And I like that dichotomy.
1: Did I do the illustration for that?
3: Or... Yes, you did. I mean, yes. you, did, you did all the illustrations, but Charlie, my favorite part about it is that you have this giant mass of flesh sitting on like a Mark VII tank chassis. <laughs> yes. In front of a bonnet. Oh,
1: park. that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: that thing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing.
1: Okay, yes. When I did that illustration for the art book, I named it something... Something screamer like it was just constantly making noise. Sort of a callback to the fact, like when the bombardments and shelling would happen, like the soldiers would be incapable of sleep in sleeping, and that was kind of this like sort of very like dark, cranked up to eleven version of that of just this constant screaming, horrible noise-making monster. This extreme alien being, uh,
0: the f- thing that it actually raises questions about is humanity. Because, like I said, it's only here because a human brought it. And this is something that's powerful enough that it would be a late campaign creature. You know, you're not going to run on this on day one unless your game master is just horrible. But it makes you wonder, is it too late? Have we as a species fallen too far already that some of us, multiple of us, are willing to do this, are willing to go this far, are willing to bring something like that and unleash it on other humans. I just liked the fact that this horrible calamity makes you go, are we already screwed and not because of the monster, but because of why it's here?
1: Yeah, um, that was one of, of the original illustrations. That was one of the last ones I did up until then, all the monsters are sort of rooted in some sort of realism. Like they have limbs, they have mouths, they have eyes. There is something predatory about them. They are monsters. This thing goes beyond that. This thing becomes something that cannot necessarily be stopped. And the fact that people are worshiping it and bringing it into this world, and instead of it like acting like a predator, it acts instead like some sort of Horrible nightmarish tyrant shows that it's, yeah, it's the culmination of everything up until then and the final realization that it might be too late. It's
3: funny you say that because, in part of the layout under the picture of the abomination, it's just like scrawled in on the page. It says, What did you do?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> We've talked in terms of questions. Do you think there are answers here? Does this say anything concrete about the world we live in?
1: I think it has, at least in my eyes. And the beauty of role playing games is that it is different in everybody else's eyes. And like each product is something else once it is used by someone else. For me, it is hope that even if everything is falling apart, you can still fight, you might not win but you have to fight and you have to survive. I also think there's a, a cautionary
0: tale that comes up a lot in science fiction and horror dating all the way back and maybe beyond to say creatures like Godzilla. Godzilla was an allegory for nuclear warfare and this new threat of a weapon. That first reared its head truly in World War One, where mass destruction could occur. And it was all human engineered and human generated. And this creature to me spoke about the same way as the development of the first tanks and of the first uh, the combat aircraft and bombing and mustard gas and all of those new horrific things that you, when you look on the battlefield and you see your friends getting gassed or bombed or pieces of them, and you think another person thought this up and inflicted it upon the rest of us. And who do we have to stop? Is it enough to stop the thing? Or is it enough to even stop the designer or the summoner in this case? Knowing that once that knowledge that it exists is out, now everyone knows that something like this can happen and it changes the dynamics of how you approach everything from that point on you have two times of your life before you saw an abomination and after
2: if you'd like to see charlie's illustration of the abomination as well as full color spreads from never going home you can visit the show's website scintilla.studio slash monster that's s-c-i-n-t-i-l-l-a dot studio slash monster
3: where can I get Never Going Home? You can buy Never Going Home on um, print on demand or electronic copies on Drive Through RPG. However, if you would like to have our offset print run or a hardback or our cards or GM screens, any of our accessories, you can get that by just emailing wetinkgames at gmail.com. And the only way you can get a hardback is through us at a convention. Uh, but, you know, it's 2020, so there's no convention.
2: <laughs> Thanks to my guests, Irvin Jackson.
0: You can find my current work... Um, I'm doing a webcomic called The Ascension Chronicles, and that's ascensioncomic.com.
3: Brandon Aiton. You can find us, Wet Ink Games, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter.
2: And Charles Ferguson Avery.
1: You can find my work on Instagram, Twitter. In addition to that, I just founded a small, loosely-knit group of artists and creators called uh, Feral Indie Studios. We do freelance artwork and commission as well as some of our own tiny projects. So if you can find us on itch.io, and that is Feral Indie Studio.
2: All those links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster. If you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, please share it with the people you play games with. Your recommendation will go a long way towards helping people trust me with their time and attention, and it's a real gift to me and the creators I feature. If you're really on board with what I'm doing and you want to make the show better, you can fuel my late-night uploads on coffee at ko-fi.com slash sparkotter. For the price of a matcha, you can help me reach goals like licensing music for the show and creating bonus episodes with behind-the-scenes content and deeper dives on the monsters I feature. I'll see you next week.